0: All right, we are in the midst of a series on uh, the names of God called Because of Who You Are, taking six of the compound names that God has given in the Old Testament at various places. Today we're looking at uh, a section of Exodus, chapter 17, where God is named Jehovah Nissi, or the Lord Our Banner. Um, we do this because names describe the character and the essence of a person, and in this case, of God. So exploring these names can help us understand the character and the essence of God, and so it's important that we we understand them, because as we get to know the essence and character of God, then we get to know Him better, right? So the Old Testament has a name for God. His proper name is Yahweh. It's the Hebrew um, Verb of to be in the first person, but it also has the uh, the sense of uh, past, present, and future. So it's I am, I was, and I will be, all wrapped up into one. And it's pronounced, we think, Yahweh. Uh, traditionally, it's pronounced Jehovah. That may be a more uh, common name that you remember. Uh, you know, there's a whole denomination, a whole uh, religion, actually called Jehovah's Witnesses, um, and so they they use that King James translation of the the, uh, the the personal name of God. But in Hebrew, there is no j sound, and the uh, v sound is more of a hua sound. And so we think, uh, since we learned last week that uh, Hebrew had no vowels, so it's just consonants, so we're guessing <laughs> that the pronunciation is Yahweh or Yahweh. Um so, but we're going to use the Jehovah, we're going to use the, the traditional pronunciation just because it's familiar to most people. So last week we looked at Jehovah Jirah or Jirah, which is our Lord, the provider. Today we're going to look at Jehovah Nisi, the Lord, our banner. Next week it's Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. And then Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. And then Jehovah Rohi, the Lord, our shepherd. And then finally Jehovah Tzidkanu, which is a real fun word to say, Tzidkenu, T-S-I-D-K-E-N-U, is how it's alliterated in English. Tzidkenu is the the Lord our righteousness. So those are the six names that we're going to explore uh, in this series, taking us all the way basically to Lent. So Jehovah Nissi, a little bit of background. You heard the the scripture reading that Trevor gave us. Uh, Moses was leading the Israelites through the wilderness after their escape from Egypt and their first military encounter was against uh, the Amalekites, the followers or the, of the family of Amalek. They call it in Hebrew the Amalekites. Uh, they, these were the descendants of not Amalek, but of Esau. Esau Amalek was a descendant of Esau, but they, they kind of uh, settled on Amalek as the name of the nation, even though Esau was their, uh, their uh, forefather uh, going furthest back. You remember the story of Esau and Jacob, who were uh, the sons of Isaac. Uh, Esau sold his birthright to Jacob uh, for a bowl of soup. He was hungry one day, and Jacob was making some soup, and Esau said, I'll give you my birthright for a bowl of that soup, probably in, that, in those very words and that very in, uh, intonation as well. And so there was bad blood between the Amalekites, the, fo- the family of Esau, and the Israelites, the followers of Jacob. Remember, God changed Jacob's name to Israel. See how this all weaves together. Uh, changed Jacob, meaning he who grasps, because he grasped Esau's heel as they were they were twins and being born together. Uh, Changed it from Jacob to Israel, which means struggles with God. So the Israelites and the Jacobites are the same people, just uh, known by a different name. And during the battle, when Moses raised his arms, probably holding his staff or, or maybe even a banner, Israel prevailed. But when Moses lowered his arms, the Amalekites prevailed. So as you might imagine, if you've ever tried to hold anything out for any length of time, even just your arms, after a while, uh, Moses' arms got tired, and so Aaron and her, his lieutenants, held up Moses' arms and sat the old man down on a rock. <laughs> he needed to rest, just like you and me. Uh, in the area of Rephidim, Rephidim, some have theorized that Moses communicated to the Israelite forces. Uh, communicated battle strategy to them using his staff and perhaps some banners or flags so they could tell uh, what he wanted them to do. They didn't have radios back then, of course, and so that that was one of the ways that they uh, communicated with one another. And when he could no longer lift his arms and perhaps the banners, he needed help. Now, a banner is a standard or a flag or an ensign. It's all referring to military usage, of course. And the song that the quartet sang, by the way, you notice there, there were five people today. It was not a quartet, although they were only singing four parts. It was a quintet, and we were happy to have Autumn join us today uh, in, our, in our famous Fount Fab Five. I think, I think we've, got, we've got a new name, folks. The Fount Fab Five. I like it. The famous Fount Fab Five. Anyway. A standard or flag or an ensign was used in military usage. You remember in that song last week that the quartet uh, sang, uh, called uh, Because of Who You Are, there was a line that said, Jehovah Nisi, Lord, you reign in victory. Lord, you reign in victory. That's, that's uh, the military imagery that uh, is promoted here. Moses, then, after uh, 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 the Israelites, were victorious over the Amalekites, he built an an altar to the Lord and he named it Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord, my banner. It was common for armies in that day to name their various divisions after uh, various gods. Not in the Israelite army, of course, because they only had one god, but other nations had various gods, and so there would be the uh, the Baal division over there, and the Moloch division over there, or whatever. And they, and they would use a standard or a banner with the depiction of that god to identify that division, so they knew who they were. Now, I know that today some people are very uncomfortable with military imagery, especially in the church. And um, They they don't like it to use it in in talking about our faith. But you know what? Humanity has always been a warlike creature, even to today, as we've seen uh, even recently. And simply squashing uh, or canceling the history of that is not going to wipe out that tendency that we have uh, to be warlike. What that takes is a change of heart, not a change of imagery. Now some may say, well, you change the imagery, you change the heart. I don't think so. I think you change the heart and then you change the imagery, but that's really not the the, the, the message today. We don't want to squash that imagery because it is relevant even for us today. Um, some time ago when the Methodist church produced its last hymnal, there was a movement by some to try and exclude hymns like Onward Christian Soldiers and The Battle Hymn of the Republic kind of as a way of canceling that out of our history. But I don't think you can remove that imagery that comes from the Bible, by the way, without doing damage to the struggles that we have in our faith journey today, our battles that we have. Consider this, the war stories of the Old Testament can help us to deal with the struggles we have in being faithful followers of Jesus. The example here of the Amalekites, they were descendants of Esau, as we mentioned, and he sold his birthright for a bowl of soup that Jacob was preparing. Esau was hungry, and he gave up something very important to satisfy a temporary physical desire. Think about that for a minute. He gave up his birthright because he was a little hungry, and he was, didn't want to go get his own food, I guess. So the Amalekites can represent to us the power of temptation to satisfy temporary urges, right? So we can, we can use that as kind of an, an, an illustration, as an example. And the staff of Moses can represent to us the foundation of the moral law of God, so that when we're tempted to steal, for instance, something that uh, we want just on an urge uh, in the moment, if we're tempted to steal, we can be reminded of the commandment, thou shalt not steal. Right, And that helps us to, to, to keep that urge under check, perhaps. Or if we're under the influence, uh, influence of lust, this story can remind us of, of God's command, you shall not commit adultery, and so forth. So you can see how these, these battles in the Old Testament, yes, they're gruesome, yes, they're bloody, and yes, it's hard to grasp them. But for us today, uh, because humanity is becoming less warlike um, because, I think, honestly, of the influence of the church through the ages, uh, the, the, the followers of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, uh, we can still use them as illustrations and um, imagery that help us to do our own spiritual battles. And if you've ever had battles like these, you can relate to them uh, as warlike struggles. It truly is a warlike struggle. And you can relate to Paul, who said in Romans chapter 7, 21-24, He said, So I find it to be a law that even when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Paul struggled with it, and he used war as an imagery for that struggle. So while we're not engaged in a physical war with the Amalekites, we are engaged in an ongoing war with forces that we cannot see. Remember Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Lord's banner is a rallying point for the faithful. There's a story of a a soldier in the Civil War who got separated from his company. He was alone and afraid, and he wanders around trying to avoid the enemy because he knows well that he cannot fight them by himself. And finally, he sees off in the distance his regimental colors flying high on the hill, his regiment battling the enemy there. And so he runs to the banner, and he finds himself renewed and strengthened by his rediscovered regiment. It is under the Lord's banner that we find victory. Under his banner that we find strength. Psalm 60 verse 4 says, "You have set up a banner for those who fear you to rally to it out of bowshot." Isaiah foretold a story when all nations would rally under one banner. From Isaiah chapter 11 verses 10 through 12. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal or banner to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. On that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Ethiopia, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal or banner for the nations, and will assemble the outcasts of Israel, and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The Lord our banner, Jehovah Nisi, is a rallying call to pull us together under his banner. Remember the root of Jesse mentioned there in Isaiah's passage? The root of Jesse is Jesus himself and he said in John 16, verse 33, in the world you face persecution, but take courage, I have conquered the world. And the psalmist expresses the joy of God's victory in us in Psalm 20, verse five, May we shout for joy over your victory, and in the name of our God, set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. In our present day, we need to be clear which banner we fight under or which we rally to. As followers of Jesus, we must run to his banner, not to the banner of one political party or another, not even to the banner of a nation, ultimately, We seek to be good citizens of the nation in which we live and through which God blesses us, of course, but we do not raise that nation above our loyalty and allegiance to Jehovah Nisi. Our first loyalty, our first allegiance, must be to our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And on this Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, we remember that God sanctifies human life even if our culture and our current laws do not. So we continue to work with others of like mind to change those laws and to change the hearts of our fellow citizens to the end that all human life is respected and protected. And we can say, hopefully all of us, amen. May it be so. Next week we'll continue this series where we'll look at Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. I'd like for you to read Judges chapter six, verses 11 through 24 as uh, as you prepare for that judges 6:11 through 24